Can y'all hear me okay? It is such a pleasure to be here with you all this morning. Um, I'm so very thankful for the opportunity to be here. Um, I've certainly enjoyed getting to know some of you so far and hope to uh, get to know, uh, hope to get to try and know everybody, but that's going to be probably pretty difficult. But uh, I am very thankful to be here. I'm very thankful again for the opportunity. And uh, my name is Sam Lawrence. Uh, I'm a student at the Southeast Institute of Biblical Studies. Um, I'm from Kosciuszko, Mississippi, uh, which, as I mentioned in the class, not very many people know where that is. Um, as I go to, uh, to congregations, uh, I realize the, the person who introduces me, who has to say Kosciuszko, a lot of times what they'll do is the, the elder or deacon will get up and they'll look down and they'll see Kosciuszko and they'll just say, he's from Mississippi. And they won't even try it. But uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you all this morning. And uh, what a privilege and a pleasure it is to be a part of God's family, to be a part of the church, and to get to worship him this morning and to have the opportunity, again, to be a part of his family. Uh, if you would, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. That's going to be where the lesson's coming from this morning. Uh, 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. But before we get started, there was a woman named Madeline Murray O'Hare. Uh, Madeline Murray O'Hare was born in the early 1900s. Uh, as Madeline grew, her... Her hatred for religion and anything involving God grew with her. Uh, Madeline uh, had two children. I believe she had two sons. Uh, as one of the sons was in grade school and started to go through school, he started to come back and he, he told his mom about how they would pray and about how they would read scripture and things like that. And uh, Madeline didn't want that to happen. Madeline didn't like that. And so she took it to the court and it wound up going to the Supreme Court. And it's a lot of the reason today why we don't have uh, public scripture reading as well as prayers in school today. Uh, Madeline would go on to form uh, American Atheist, I believe was the name of the organization. And uh, uh, later, as she founded that, um, she had her family working with her and she had other people. One of the men who was working with her uh, kidnapped her son and her granddaughter and herself. And uh, kidnapped Madeline Murray O'Hare and uh, some of her family. And uh, I believe it was for a few hundred thousand dollars that they kidnapped him. And uh, when they found uh, Madeline Murray O'Hare, her son and her granddaughter, when they found the bodies, they found uh, some of Madeline's possessions. Uh, one of her possessions being her, her journal, her diary, and I believe it was uh, on four or six of the pages, uh, something was written over and over again. It said, somebody, somewhere, loved me. Somebody, somewhere, loved me. The fact of the matter is, no matter who we are, no matter what we've been through, no matter how old we are, we all have an innate desire to be loved. The greatest realization we can ever come to in this life is to know that, that we are loved. I may not know each and everybody here. I may not know your background. I may not know your name, but I know one thing for certain. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, each and every person here is loved by God. Amen. And that's the greatest realization we can ever hope to have this side of heaven. And so again, in 1 John, beginning in verse 7, we're going to talk about being loved by God and what that looks like. And so beginning in verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, and that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
And so point number one, we're going to talk about love defined. Uh, that's going to be coming from verse 8. Uh, it's a popular verse that I'm sure we all are familiar with. It's that God is love. And so this is the word uh, agape used here. There are four different words used for the word love. Uh, this is the, the highest form of love. Uh, this is the love. It, it seeks the ultimate good uh, of the object towards um, to whom it loves. Meaning, if, if, if we love somebody uh, with this kind of love, it means we're going to seek to do what's best for them, regardless of whether or not they th- we think they deserve it, and regardless of what they've done. Uh, for example, a closer look at what this love looks like. Uh, it basically means a will to do good towards the object to which it's loved. Uh, it's not a feeling, necessarily, but it's a decision. For example, uh, is it easy to love your enemies? We see in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 43, that we're told to love our enemies. Does that come natural? I was speaking at a youth camp last Monday, and, and I asked him, I said, hold up your hands if, uh, if uh, loving your enemies is, is normal. A few of them actually held up their hands, and I didn't know what to say about that. But uh, loving your enemies, it, it's not natural. It's not normal. Uh, how many of us, if we get cut off by somebody in traffic, want to pull up beside them and just say, you know, I am so thankful you did that. I really love you, and, and I want to help you. Uh, it's, it, we don't. It's difficult. It's, it's not natural. Uh, it's not a feeling but rather it's a decision. And so that's what this kind of love calls for. Uh, because love may not always be a feeling, but love is always a decision. We choose whether or not we're going to love somebody or whether we won't. And so we see that God chose to love us. And He loved us when we didn't deserve it. And so we see also that, that love seeks not only the best for an individual, but love seeks the best for an individual even if it upsets them. And so what do I mean by that? Turn with me if you would to Matthew or excuse me, Mark chapter ten, beginning in verse seventeen. Mark chapter ten, beginning in verse seventeen. And so here we have Jesus with the rich young ruler. Beginning in verse seventeen. It says, And as he was setting out on a journey, A man ran up to him and knelt before him and began asking him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. And so Jesus here was telling him what he needed to do to go to heaven. And the rich young ruler said, all these things I've kept from my youth. And in some translations it says, what lack I yet? And we see in the next verse, verse 21, and Jesus looking at him, notice Jesus loved him. And so it's important that we see Jesus loved him because of what he does next. He says, one thing you you lack, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure with me in heaven and come and follow me. But as these but at these words he was saddened and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And so love tells people what they need to do to go to heaven, even if it upsets them. You know, how easy would it have been for Jesus Jesus to say, Okay, uh, you've kept the commandments, you're good enough, we don't agree on everything, but you know what, you're in. Uh, you've got enough of it, so you're in. But that's not what Jesus did. Has there ever been a greater example of perfection, of love? of kindness, of meekness than Jesus Christ. But yet he told this man what he needed to do to be saved. And he went away sorrowful. 
But sometimes when we tell people what they need to do to be saved, again, we have the responsibility to speak the truth in love, as we see in Ephesians 4, verse 15. But we can speak that truth in the most loving, kind way, and it's still going to upset people. And we see an example here with a rich young ruler. And so love seeks the best for an individual, again, even if it upsets them. And so maybe uh, bringing this to ourselves, uh, maybe we're tempted to compromise when someone says, uh, well, I'm a member over at some denomination, fill in the blank. Uh, and we are all going to the same place, but, but we're taking different paths. So it's easy sometimes to, to want to compromise, to want to not have to deal with things and compromise. But the fact of the matter is, if we love them, we'll do exactly what Jesus did. And what was that he did? He told the rich young ruler what he needed to do to go to heaven, even if it upsets them. So we'll tell those who are outside of Christ, those who are in denominations, those who are uh, even ailing Christians, uh, those within the body who have fallen away. We will tell people what they need to do to go to heaven uh, if we truly love them. And so we have to, again, tell people what they need to do to go to heaven, not in arrogance, but in sincerity and in gentleness. And so these are some of the things that God or that love does, and we see point number one that God is love, but point, point number two is that uh, God's love is shown. And that's coming from 1 John 4, verse 9, which says, By this the love of God was manifested in us, and that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. And so the greatest demonstration of love that has ever been or will ever be shown is Jesus Christ dying for us on the cross. God sent His only Son. And we've heard that a lot of times, but but God sent... We need to... Hear it and think about it a little bit. God sent His only Son, Jesus, God in the flesh, the Creator of all things, to die for each and every one of us. That is the most amazing example of love that has ever been or will ever be shown. And so sometimes, maybe when life's difficult, maybe when life's hard, it can be easy to say, does God love me? If He does, why is He allowing me to go through this? Well, we may not always be able to answer that, but we can always answer the question of, does God love me? We can absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, answer that question. We look back to the cross and we can know for a fact that God loves us. Why? Because He sent His Son to die for each and every one of us. God in the flesh came and took the punishment that I deserved and took the punishment that we all deserved for our sins. So we can know without a shadow of a doubt that He loves us and that He died for us. Of course, we're familiar uh, with John 3, verse 16, the golden text of the Bible, probably the most uh, popular Bible verse there is in that. God so loved the world in that He sent His only begotten Son so that whoever shall believe in Him shall not be condemned but shall have eternal life. And so God loves me and you and He died for me and you. And we see the Creator of the universe, He took or He died for me and you and He took the punishment that we deserve because He loves us. We see that in Philippians 2 beginning in verse 6 where it says, Who though He was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so God left heaven, came to earth, and he died for each and every one of us here today. And so he died for us. He went through all of that for us. But, but why did he do that? But why did he do that? And so he died for us because love seeks to meet the needs of others. And so since love seeks to meet the needs of others, since God died for us, since Jesus died for us, what was our greatest need? Well, we see in Romans 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We see that in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, where it says, 
Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you that he does not hear. And so therefore, since we have all sinned, and since sin separates us from God, our greatest need was to be brought back to God. We see also in Romans 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we've all sinned. Sin separates us from God. And because we've done that, our wages is death. Our eternity lost in hell, separated from God. And so we have no hope apart from Christ and apart from His blood. We see that in Ephesians 2, verses 12 and 13. Now the scripture there reads, Remember that you were at this time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So if we're outside of Christ in any way, whether erring or whether we have yet to come to Christ, the scriptures tell us that we are without hope and without God in the world. But thankfully there's verse 13 which says, But now in Christ Jesus you who were formerly far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. So we don't have to stay there. We don't have to, we don't have to stay away from Christ. We don't have to stay outside of Christ. Why? Because Jesus died for us. And His blood brings us back to God. And so this is something I wish I could ad- adequately describe the, re- the, the crucifixion, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I wish I could uh, do the job that it deserves, uh, but I'll never be able to. I'll never be able to fully convey the love that's shown in the cross. I'll never be able to fully convey the suffering that was uh, shown by Jesus. I'll just never be able to do it. But if we had spent a million, year, a million years in hell rather than an eternity because of our sins, that would be better than we deserve. If we had spent 10,000 years rather than an eternity, that would be better than we deserve. If we had spent 1,000 years rather than an eternity, that would be better than we deserve. We would at least have a hope. We would at least be able to say, okay, I'm one day closer to get out, getting out of here. If we had just been... Uh, annihilated, snapped out of existence, which some people hold to that doctrine. Of course, we see in Matthew 25 at the end of that ver- or at the end of that chapter that that's not the case. But that would be better than we deserve. But turn with me to Romans chapter eight, beginning in verse five, and we're going to see what God has done for each and every one of us in Christ. Romans chapter eight, beginning in verse five. Oh, excuse me, verse 15. I'm sorry about that. <clears throat> Scripture there says, For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons, whom we cry out as Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies that our spirit, that we are children of God, and if children, also heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. Friends and brethren, We are children of God if we are in Christ. We are children of the one who created the universe. We are fellow heirs with Christ. I wish I fully understood that, but I don't. Uh, I know it's an amazing thing. I know it's, uh, I know this, that the best thing this side of heaven is not, it's not any job you could have. It's not any house you could have. It's not how much money you can have. The best thing you could ever hope to have this side of heaven is to be a Christian. Plain and simple end of story. It's to be a Christian. It's to be a part of the body of Christ. To be a part of God's family and to be a co-heir with Christ. There is absolutely nothing 
better than that. And so we're co-heirs with Christ. We have a home in heaven. Um, and so thankfully, God met our greatest need how? By sending Jesus to die on the cross for each and every one of us. And so we see that God is love, point number one. We see that uh, God's love made manifest and that He sent His Son to die for us. And now point number three is that God's love is unconditional. Coming from 1 John 4, beginning in verse 10, where it tells us that, that it wasn't us who first loved Him, but rather it was Him who first loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. This is an amazing and comforting thing to think about. Now, the fact of the matter is that God first loved us and it wasn't us that first loved Him. We did nothing whatsoever to deserve this. Um, God didn't, lo- didn't love us first because we deserved it, uh, because He looked down and said, okay, they've earned it, they're good enough. No. The uh, fact of the matter is, we see in Romans 5, verse 8, and that God demonstrates His love towards us in that how, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We go back to how we were talking about is it easy to love our enemies? It's hard. But God loved us when we were His enemies. We see that in Romans 5, verse 10. And so it's not that we deserve it. It's not that we earned it. But God demonstrates His love towards us in that He sent His Son. He gave us the opportunity. He did absolutely every single thing He could to make sure we have a home in heaven with Him one day. And so Jesus died for you and me while we were sinners. And so talking about the word propitiation, I had absolutely no idea what this word meant until I looked it up. Um, But the word propitiation here, it means the satisfactory of an offended party. Uh, In this case, God... And so basically, uh, Jesus, with his death on the cross, he satisfied uh, the punishment that we deserve because of our sins. He took the punishment upon himself that we deserved. And so Jesus suffered the punishment you and I deserved. Uh, we see exactly that uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. It says, For to this you have been called, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you also should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, who being reviled was not reviling in return. Uh, while suffering, he was, up, he was uttering no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins and his body on the tree, so that having died to sin, we might live to righteousness. By his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but you have now returned the shepherd and overseers of your souls. And so he came to earth. Uh, you think about it, he left heaven and came to earth. We're on earth, and we can't wait to go to heaven. Uh, we've never seen it, but he saw heaven. He lived in heaven. He saw the splendor, the glory, and the majesty of heaven. And yet he still came down here for each and every one of us. And so he left heaven, he came, and he died on the cross for each and every one of us. And he did so that we could have life and have it abundantly. We see that in John 10, verse 10. And so God loves us more than anyone or anything ever could. We Again, we see that in the crucifixion of, of Jesus. Uh, and, and we think about that crucifixion, about how how much our Lord subjected Himself to, not just on the cross, but the life He lived, uh, being denied, being forsaken, uh, being spat on, being mocked, uh, being mistreated in every way you can think of. But you think about Him going to the cross. We know He was flogged. Uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, flogging and scourging, that, that could have killed people before they even went to the cross. And so you think about His back being ripped up. Uh, you think uh, You think about... I've heard a preacher describe it this way, as a sea of blood with white caps. It's not a great picture to think of, but it's something like uh, when we're observing the Lord's Supper, we can think of, uh, of all that he went through for each and every one of us. Uh, We think of him going on the cross, and this wasn't a nice, sanded down, nice cross, but this was a rugged cross. And so you think of him uh, with his hands, 
being nailed to the cross, his ankles being nailed to the cross. And supposedly, each time he had to get a breath, he would have to pull himself up, raise himself up. And so he's having to brush himself up against that rugged cross with his back torn open. And he's having to pull himself up each and every breath. You also think about the crown of thorns that's on his head. That crown of thorns was beat onto his head, so it's probably bleeding. It's probably a bunch of sweat. Uh, in the summertime, with it being hot as it is now, uh, when we get sweat in our eye, it stings. So what do we do? We wipe it away. But Jesus, having all that blood, having all that sweat getting in his eyes, he couldn't wipe it away. And I say this not, to, uh, not for a dramatic effect or anything like that. I say it because it's true. Because it's something we need to be aware of. We need to know how much our Lord went through for us. Because the love in which our God has for us, I can never overstate. I mean, we serve a wonderful, perfect, loving God who, who, who does more for, more for us than, again, than I'll ever be able to describe adequately. And so God loves us more than anyone or anything ever could. And so as we come to a close, a question I have to ask every single person in here today as well as myself is are we living for the one who died for us? And so are we giving him our best each day or are we just going through the motions? Uh, we're told in Colossians 3 verse 4 that Christ is our life. I've heard a preacher say one time that, that Jesus as a hobby will take you to church. But Jesus as your life will take you to heaven. So we have to ask which one is he is, or which one does that characterize for us? And so, are we giving Him our best each day? Are we living for Him? The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1, verse 21, he says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The very essence of who Paul was, he defined by Christ, by living for Him. And he also said in Galatians 2, verse 20, he said, He said, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life in which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who died for me. And so the Apostle Paul lived each day for Christ. And finally, we see in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15, this is probably my favorite section of Scripture, and to me it kind of summarizes what it is to be a Christian. It tells us, for the love of Christ controls us, meaning it constrains us, meaning it makes us do what it is that we do. Concluding this, that one has died for all, and therefore, one is, and therefore all have died. And so knowing what Jesus has done for us, knowing the love in which he's shown for us, that makes us conform our attitudes, our actions, everything we are into what he would have us to do. And so it says, since we have concluded that one has died for all and therefore all have died and he died for all so that those who live may no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So knowing what Jesus has done for each and every one of us here today, we should more and more and more as each day goes by try to become more like Christ. Will we fail? Absolutely. Absolutely. But are we trying each day to live more and more for the one who died for us and for the one who loves us? And so God loves because that's who he is. That's a part of his nature. We see that in 1 John 4, verse 8. Uh, we see the greatest example of God's love being the cross, uh, 1 John 4, verse 9. Uh, we see that God's love is unconditional, 1 John 4, verse 10. We see that God has met our greatest need and that he loves us all. And so if we wind up lost... It won't be because God didn't love us. But it'll be because we didn't love God and do what He said. We see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. It says, And to give to you who are troubled rest when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels and flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. And so since God so loved us, since God saved us from that, if we are in Christ, if we are living faithful for Him, then, then He saved us from that. But since God so loved us, how should our response be? Or what should our response be to Him? We should love Him. But how do we go about doing that? We see in John 14, verse 15, where Jesus says there, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then in 15, verse 14, He says, You are my friends if you do what I say. And so if we love God, then we'll do what He says. Uh, This means becoming a Christian if we're not a Christian. Uh, This means if we're outside of Christ, responding to the love in which God has shown for us. Uh, All that God has done for us, it, it means responding to that. If we are a Christian... Uh, It means giving God our best each and every single day He gives us and growing closer to Him. And if we're outside of Christ, it means coming back to Christ. Or if we're an erring member, it means coming back to Christ. It means rededicating our lives to Christ. It means coming back to the fold and doing all that we can to live faithfully for Him. Why? Because of what He's done for us. Again, God has done every single thing He can do to make sure we have a home with, uh, with Him in heaven. But we have to obey the gospel. We have to live for him who died for us. And so have you responded to the love in which God has for you? Again, if you're not a Christian, Jesus Christ bled and died for you so that you would not be lost. Uh, If you are a Christian and you're erring, again, we see in uh, the parable of of the, the lost son that the father came running back, was eager and ready for the son to return. And so it's the same way with God. He loves us. He cares about us. He wants us to come back to Him. So if you're here this morning and if you're outside of Christ, I would beg you, I would urge you, I would plead with you to come to Christ before you walk through those doors. It'll be the greatest decision you ever make in your life. Will it make everything easy? It won't. But you will be with God. You will have a hope in this world. And again, you'll have a family in the church. And if you need restoration, if you need to come back to Christ, I would urge you to do that as well. Or maybe you just need to come forward and ask for prayer. If you have any need whatsoever, I would ask and I would plead with you to make that request known as we stand and as we sing the invitation song.